0: is where we're, where we're starting.
1: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
0: That's going to create more turbulence. The economic
2: statistics. The triple
0: dip recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy
3: has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for
2: nothing.
1: Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. David Cameron is on course to remain Prime Minister of the UK. The pound soars as exit polls tip of Tory win, and Alibaba shares jump as the Chinese e-commerce giant replaces its CEO. This morning, it's all about the UK elections and the impact they have on investor sentiment. We'll talk with Mandarin Capital CIO Nitin Dialdas. Then we have the Consul General of Nepal, Mr. Mahesh Prasad Dahal, on the cost of damages of the recent earthquake and Red Cross Hong Kong's Betty Lau, with the latest from their field workers on ground. Richard Harris is co-host this morning. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. So, Richard, the voting is entering its uh, last half hour. What's your prediction?
4: Well, it's uh, now closed, and we've had four seats so far. Um, the exit polls, of course, were very much in favour of uh, uh, of Conservative, but the key battleground really is Labour and Conservative. and at the moment, the early indications are that the Conservatives might actually hold their own, maybe even a little swing towards the, the, their own party.
1: Hmm. Now, Richard, what role does the Scottish National Party have on forming this next government?
4: Well, well of course, the big debate in this election has been the minority party, Scottish Nationalists, uh, uh, UKIP, the Independence Party, and also how much the Liberal Democrats might be decimated. Now, it looks as if the Scots might win almost the whole of Scotland, 58 out of 59 seats, which would be dramatic uh, And that would be uh, very, very damaging for Labour, of course, which has always seen Scotland as its backyard.
1: All right. Well, when it comes to a majority in the UK House of Commons, the magic number is anywhere between three hundred and thirty three. T- uh, 323, excuse me, and 326, depending upon certain members of parliaments who uh, won't take up their seat. Is that right?
4: Well, you have the difference because the Speaker and the Deputy Speaker don't have a vote and some of the Irish, uh, the Catholic parties don't take up their seats. But the uh, magic figures 323. If the first exit poll is right, then uh, the Conservative Liberal uh, Coalition will get in. If the YouGov poll is right, then it won't quite be there. But I think they'll almost certainly form a government with just a few short.
1: Okay, well, uh, let's listen to this clip from Francine Lacroix of uh, Bloomberg with the latest on the exit polls. But if the exit polls are right, and that is, again, a big if, because we don't exactly know the accuracy of this exit poll because there are so many smaller parties, which makes it that much more difficult to poll even after they voted. But let's assume that these exit polls are right. Then we know that the Tories would take, according to this exit poll, 310 seats. The Lib Dems, with whom they're current in coalition with, uh, dramatically reducing the number of seats that they had over the last five years. But at number 10, they would make 300. 126 seats, so that would mean that we would have quite a safe coalition. Labor, they were expected to have around 270 seats at 239 seats. I would imagine that, you know, the, the labor leader is disappointed with that. So Labour and s and coalition versus Tories and Liberal Democrats. How will things stack up in terms of Britain's business future? Bloomberg's Mark Barton takes a look at UK asset performance since May of 2010, when the last coalition government came into power. He starts with the FTSE 100, which was up 35%.
0: Possibly the most significant date over that period was February the twenty-fourth this year, when the index surpassed the previous record of sixty-nine thirty point two, which has stood since nineteen ninety-nine. Now comparing the FTSE one hundred to other benchmark indices around the world, can be a bit of a sobering experience. Over the same period, the S&P 500 jumped by 88%. Japan's Nikkei up by 88%. Germany's DAX up by 98%. Those gains are dwarfed by a 158% increase for Denmark's Copenhagen 20 index. That's Europe's best performer over this five-year period. The world's best-performing index since May the seventh, 2010. Stock market index, it soared a mind-boggling 8,891%. Yeah,
1: definitely a bit of a sobering experience, as he says, for the FTSE 100. But then he goes on to talk about the sovereign bond index, which is a gauge of UK government bonds.
0: That index is up by 36%. That beats the US Treasury market, which is up by 18%. It beats the Eurozone sovereign bond market, which is up by 34%. Germany's sovereign bond market is up by 26% in the same period. The European bond markets, which have outperformed the UK during that period, Spain with a 44% gain, Portugal with a 69% gain, Italy with a 44% gain, and Ireland with a 72% percent return. Let's finish with currencies. Let's look at the pound against the dollar since May the seventh, 2010. In that period, interest in the sterling has risen by 2.5% against the dollar. And I looked at all the major currencies in the world. There aren't many currencies which have risen against the dollar during that time frame. Only 21 out of the 174 currencies we track here at Bloomberg have risen more than 2% against the dollar. The euro down 12%, the yen down 24%, the Swiss franc rose.
1: So the question really is then how will things look in the period coming up to the next UK election, whether that's in five years or before, as some are predicting. Richard, the pound has been soaring. Tell us why.
4: Well, in fact, the markets haven't reacted terribly much to the election, even though there's been quite a lot of uncertainty. Uh, But the pound has been on the weak side. And that's probably the first thing that'll start going because If you're going to see a continuation of the government, there'll probably be relatively little change domestically. You know, the uh, stock market will probably carry on as it has been. But the pound is different. The pound's more uh, reactive to what the government will do. So I think it's looking positive uh, for the pound if Cameron gets back in.
1: All right. Let's bring in Nitin Dialdas, who is our first guest this morning. Nitin is uh, from Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Nitin. Good morning. Nitin, uh, what would be the effect on investor sentiment if the Tories would be able to form a government?
2: I'll definitely be very positive. I think a lot of investors have been quite worried that Labour would form a coalition with the S&P and that would have been quite damaging for the UK on an economic point of view. Um, So having the Tories get this majority or at least what the exit polls are saying that they've got this uh, 316 seats... And I must guarantee to get in that's just going to be positive for the UK and investor sentiment into the country
1: okay Nathan can you tell us a little bit more about that I mean in, in terms of once upon a time you know it was a known uh, fact that the Tory government would be better for things economically uh, but that hasn't necessarily been the case with labor in the last several years so uh, so what's wrong with uh, Ed Miliband becoming the next prime minister
2: I think when you look at labor policies they're very much about looking after the welfare system. And if you're going to spend a lot of money on your welfare system, that, um, a lot of business is going to get hurt because taxes are going to go up. You've got to fund it somehow. When you're taxing on a higher level, a lot of people don't necessarily want to come into the country and do business there. So having all of this, the ta- um, Labour have been very adamant about the fact they want to return the 50% tax rate. Tories have said no way they're going to do that. So that alone is one major Favor uh, major reason why you want to shift back to Tories in terms of a business sentiment. Um, Like I said, a lot more spending going into welfare rather than improving the overall economy. So when you look at their policies, it's been pretty uh, different this time. I think in previous uh, eras with the Labour government, they were tending towards Tory policies, or there were some policies that were pro-economy that were more Tory type policies. Yeah, listen, the, uh, the, the, the bankers' bonuses
4: so. seem to be taxed uh, ten times over. Um, uh, according to Labour. But we're listening to Bloomberg's Mark Barton just now saying how much uh, various aspects of the British economy have improved since uh, 2010, but really how much impact does the government have on the economy because the bond markets are generally impacted globally. Uh, The equity markets in the UK are global as well. Uh, Yes, the currency might have an impact because of local factors, but do governments really have a big impact on the economy?
2: I think they have some sort of impact, whether it's just from a sentimental point of view. Um, Sentiment always drives economies if you're positive you're always going to spend that little bit more if you feel that your job's secure you're going to spend that little bit more so all of that's going to start driving your economy so i think from a sentiment point of view they do play a part but i think their policies also play a part like i said if you're going to have higher taxes why would you want to earn the higher rates if you're going to have, you know what are you working for you're working for the government and for the people who aren't necessarily going to work hard for you so yeah policies do have uh, play uh, play in the economy, yeah. But the other impact uh, uh, was that Labour were trying to carry up
4: to business and at at the same time be friends to, shall we say, people on welfare. Do you think that sort of double-pronged attack had maybe split their message?
2: Uh, I think it hurt them, but I also think the businesses weren't necessarily fooled. If you looked at the polls before before the elections, something like 78% of business owners said you know They wanted Tories in, so I don't think a lot of the businesses were fooled by the fact that Labour was trying to carry out to them. Obviously, they realised it's an election, you're going to try and get whatever votes you can, but when you look at the overall policies, you know it wasn't favourable to the businesses, and therefore, as I said, 78 or 80% of them wanted Tories in.
1: All right. On a global scale in the l- recent days, more than $2 trillion in value has been erased from global markets as bonds fall and equities decline. Um, let's listen to this clip from Bloomberg's Jonathan Farrow on what's behind that sell-off.
3: Over the last month, sure, you've had a lot of good data from Europe specifically, credit conditions improving, oil, that's a key factor in all of this as well, oil bouncing back. And there's a firm debate over here in London and across Europe and globally, and it's it, is this the beginning of the reflation trade? What you've had is a huge deflation trade, people's deflation, inflation expectations go lower, they're willing to accept a much lower yield, and that's why you've seen this huge yield compression over the last 12 months, Add in European QE, record lows after record lows, you get the picture. If we have turned the corner and we get this introduction of a reflation trade, then expect yields to go much higher, and that's what's happened. Now, there's a debate on whether this is actually what is happening. Remember, if you went to sleep 12 months ago and woke up this morning, the yield on the German 10-year, forget the move over the last couple of weeks, is still half of where it was 12 months ago. Other people seeing this as just a knee-jerk reaction, a big correction after a monster rally. There is a big debate on what's behind this move.
1: Now, stocks, of course, were up uh, last night, and the gains marked a rebound from the last two days' sell-offs in both the bond and equity markets. But Nathan, what are your thoughts? What what is this big debate behind uh, all of this?
2: Um, I think we've had a big rally in a lot of the markets. I mean, you, as we just spoke about, UK is at record highs. Germany's uh, well into record territory. NASDAQ's hit record highs. We've all seen the moves in China and Hong Kong. So markets needed to calm down. They can't just keep going up every day. Same time, you know, bond markets have had a good run over the last five years. It probably is time that we start getting some yields back. We I don't think we can live in zero, uh, 0% interest rate environment forever. So I think you are starting to see some sort of reflation. You're starting to see some yields come back. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be negative for equity markets. On the contrary, I think it will be quite positive. Uh, but there are two schools of thought of this, Nitin. The
4: other one is that as these figures get worse, you know, the bond market weakens, maybe the dollar weakens. We've seen commodities increase or recovery. Could that set up a chain reaction that might lead to some quite substantial weakness in the market looking further ahead?
2: I don't think you're going to get a repeat of 2007, 2008. I don't think we're going to have this massive sell-off. Um, like I said, I think we do have to take a step back and look at where we've come from, and we've had big moves. I mean, oil's bounced back, but let's not forget, six months ago, oil was at $100 a barrel. We're still at $65 a barrel. So it's come down considerably, and, yeah, we've bounced back from 49 48 but that's just, to me, a correction. It's, it needed to come back a little bit. It probably overshot on the downside, commodity prices have been relative I mean the gold prices have been relatively flat you're not really seeing a lot of moves in the commodities if you take the take a seat back a step back and actually look at it um yeah we can go in the short term moves and say over two weeks it's bounced quite considerably but that's a two-week move let's actually look at the overall trend and it's still positive to the equity markets it's reasonably flat to negative on the commodity markets and I think the bond markets are where you're going to start seeing the interest come through because I do think yields will start rising there
1: all right Nathan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Nitin Dialdas of Mandarin thank Capital. You. U.S. stocks closed higher as investors awaited the key April jobs report and eyed these easing uh, this easing in oil prices and bond yields. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 82 points, almost half a percent, at 17,924. The S&P 500 closed up four tenths of a percent at 2,088, and the Nasdaq closed up 25 points, or half a percent, at 4,945. A quick look at the numbers here: the Nikkei is. Up two tenths of a percent to 19,329, and Australia's ASX 200 is down 0.04 percent to 5,642. Well, two weeks ago, the 7.9 magnitude earthquake in Nepal shook the landlocked mountainous country. The U.S. Geological Survey puts estimates of the economic losses up to 10 billion US dollars while re- rebuilding costs could top 5 billion US this is according to IHS Global Nepal's uh, consul general of Hong Kong Mr Mahesh Prasad Dahal gave us the update yesterday on the damages
5: total death uh, till yesterday evening was uh, 7675 the injured person uh, almost uh, 15000 and this also includes uh, foreigners uh, 66 foreigners uh, have been uh, killed by the quake and then more than 46 foreigners still uh, injured um, um, by the quake uh, if you see the the damage of buildings government bil- building number of government buildings damage uh, are almost uh, 26,000 out of that uh, 11,000 are completely um, damaged and 15,000 partially uh, so far the private homes uh, is concerned I. I found that uh, more than five hundred thousand buildings have been collapsed. Out of that, uh, two hundred eighty thousand completely uh, demolished, and rest are the partially. Altogether, eight million people have been affected by the quake directly indirectly.
1: Do you have any idea as to the cost? Of the damages so far, is there any kind of estimate? I mean, we heard an estimate of uh, about twenty percent of the GDP of Nepal. This is by IHS Global. Is is that even accurate?
5: So, at the moment, it's very difficult to uh, to say any figure. But we we hope uh, it must be not less than ten percent of the GDP. So, but there was a there was a estimate, um, kind of flash appeal from the United Nations. Based on their calculation, uh, we need uh, 450 million U.S. dollars for uh, immediate relief and rescue within three months. But for reconstruction, uh, rebuilding, and you know the um, uh, upgrading the infrastructure, it might take a long time, maybe five to ten years. So what we uh, required in the long term is the resources, is the money. Uh, that uh, we require to build, rebuild the buildings, rebuild the temples, rebuild, rebuild the uh, historical monuments, uh, and also support to the people to build their homes. As I mentioned, that more than you know, 500,000 b- buildings have been collapsed. So we have to support them. And the investors connecting to the villages, to the rural areas, uh, are also devastated.
1: So it so sounds like the cost of damages... Uh, affect government tourism and livelihood.
5: Basically, you know, Nepal the three types of tourists come to visit. Number one uh, to see the historical monuments, palaces, and then the heritage sites, which almost we lost. Most of them uh, we lost already some time. Second category is expedition to the Everest and uh, other um, high peaks. Third is the trekking, basically trekking, and uh, you know some uh, national park safari, all these things. So, also in trekking, you know it may have impact because infrastructure is not um, ready, and then uh, maybe people also lose their, you know, uh, the, the properties. Tourism may go down definitely.
1: Mr. Thapa, so, if I could ask you, um, what can we do here in Hong Kong, you know, to sort of rally support for the Nepali community?
5: uh i think nepali community is already mobilized uh, in 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 a massive way i I can say that and actually they are supporting the government from uh, you know uh, uh, from different ways they are actually collecting donations they are also or uh, appealing their Chinese friends and other, other non-Chinese friends in Hong Kong. And so I think a uh, lot of people in Hong Kong are contributing. Uh, and then um, even political parties and local NGOs who are serving the ethnic minorities, uh, including Nepalese in Hong Kong, uh, they are also uh, contributing and they are also raising funds and also collecting other stuffs uh, like tents and sending uh, Nepal.
1: Okay, so Mr. Dehal, can you let our listeners know uh, how to contribute? What are the different avenues? Where can they go uh, to sort of plough in the funds for these rebuilding efforts? Uh,
5: government has um, created few institutions and mechanisms to, for the long run to um, mobilise resources. Uh, number one, government has already created Prime Minister Disaster Relief Fund. So the uh, any resources coming in, in into the country must be deposited in that fund directly. So it's an integrated fund. Based on that, government will make a decision, and based uh, on on that, uh, make the expenditure. Very recently, our finance minister attended the the ADB uh, meeting in Kazakhstan. And and ADB is also very positive towards that. We are approaching to the World Bank. As well as uh, uh, Asian Investor Development Bank, which was recently created, that may be one avenue. And there are many countries um, uh, who uh, who are interested to provide long-term resources and support to Nepal to rebuild. China, India, our neighbors, as well as many many countries, would be uh, helpful to us.
1: Is there a bank account in Hong Kong that uh, local Hong Kongers can access to flow funds in,
5: and how do they find out about that? It's a good question. We uh, last Monday we opened up a bank account for the purpose of uh, earthquake uh, resistance, earthquake support, um, uh, support uh, to the support of earthquake victims, and this uh, account is created in the development bank of Singapore, Hong Kong (DBS), and the account number is four seven five. This is uh, open in the name of the Constitution of Nepal, Hong Kong. But this is uh, the account uh, where the people can deposit their money and they can provide a slip uh, receipt to us. We immediately acknowledge that uh, their support and help. And this uh, from this account, we directly transfer to the Prime Minister's Disaster Relief Fund in Nepal. Uh, alternatively, if, we, if uh, some institution would like to contribute uh, directly to the fund, uh, we have also uh, opened up the venue for that. Uh, so for that, we have uh, government has already established a Everest Bank account in Nepal. The bank is Everest Bank Limited, uh, and then uh, the account number is zero zero one zero double one zero double two triple zero one two, and the Swift code for transfer money from Hong Kong uh, is EVBLNPKA. So these two avenues—local bank as well as the the bank account of the uh, the fund in, in Nepal—these two are the options that people can directly contribute in cash. We are also accepting some uh, kinds materials uh, which are um, essential for providing rescue and you know relief relief activities to the to the affected people. So from Hong Kong, um, basically you know the tents because the summer season is coming up very soon so the tents and tarpaulin could maybe uh, may used for the uh, creating you know, shelters, immediate shelters immediate, uh, immediate shelter for the victims of the quake uh, mattresses some medical first aid items uh, and then water purifier uh, maybe some gloves shoes uh, masks these are the items that is immediately required to support to the victims of the quake so those items are also being collected And we are uh, coordinating that activity particularly to send the items back to Nepal.
1: That was uh, Mr. Mahesh Prasad Dahal, the Consul General of Nepal here in Hong Kong, along with uh, Chura Thapa, who is the producer and presenter of the Nepali radio program on Radio 3. Uh, let's bring in our last guest this morning, uh, Betty Lau, who is the head of International and Relief Service at Red Cross. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. So, Betty, after nearly two weeks, uh, uh, two weeks later, you know, after the earthquake, um, can you tell us... Uh, what you know? What's the latest from Red Cross workers on ground?
6: Yeah, together we have um, more than six thousand and five hundred Red Cross staff and volunteers working on this relief operation. Right now, we are moving into the main relief phase of the operation already, and we have three. A field hospital up running right now in the affected areas. Uh, up to yesterday, we have already served more than 1,000 uh, injured people or patients in those hospitals. The Red Cross is also at the time providing water, clean, safe water, and then also a mass sanitation solutions for the earthquake affected population. While And another focus is to provide temporary shelter for the affected populations.
1: Betty, we've been told, uh, you know, that the trauma of the aftershocks is really also quite damaging and people are suffering from
6: medium and long term psychological issues. Is there any relief that's provided for that? Well, definitely. The Red Cross is providing psychological first aid to the affected population and in every of our medical teams we have playgroup organized for children who are traumatized of, uh, after this earthquake. And uh, looking into the long run, we are lo- also uh, exploring partnership to establish referral services for mental health. Uh, but. In the longer run, I think restoring the livelihood of the affected population would be the best psychological support. Now,
1: of course, there is a lot of uh, money that is needed for the recovery. Betty, what could happen economically and socially to Nepal and its neighboring countries if uh, this crisis is is not addressed uh, efficiently?
6: Well, I think uh, when you look in, into the, you know, the figures, uh, although the affect, the actual affected population may not be as high as, for example, uh, the affected population by the Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines two years ago, uh, but in every four af- uh, Nepali people, there is one affected, meaning either by losing their family members or losing a house or the livelihood. So this is a huge uh, hamper on the... Um, On the on people's life in in Nepal, and they need a lot of resources to restore that. The Red Cross right now is looking globally for 270 million Hong Kong dollars for the relief phase in the next 18 months. But we are definitely needing a lot more resources in order to rebuild the country and the uh, communities. And more on that on Hong Kong uh, Red Cross's website. Betty, thank
1: you so much for joining us this morning. That is Betty Lau, and she is the head of International Relief, International and Relief Service at the Red Cross here in Hong Kong. A quick look at the numbers now before we close up the show. The Nikkei is up three-tenths of a percent to 19,359. Australia's ASX 200 uh, is up uh, half a percent to 5,674. And Seoul's Kospi up one-tenth of a percent to 2,093. In currencies, one euro currently buys you 1.12 US dollar. The US dollar is trading at 119.77 yen. And one pound sterling Uh, will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 94 cents and uh, it's also up 1% against The US dollar uh, to 1.53 US dollars. Well, Richard, here we are at the end of the show. What's happening with the exit polls?
4: Well, the exit polls were very positive for the Conservatives, looking at maybe 316 seats. Remember, they need 323, the Liberal Democrat partners on 10. We've had nine seats declared so far, and actually, they seem to be reinforcing the exit polls with um, uh, the Conservatives holding their own uh, against Labour. Liberal Democrat vote has been hit. Um, And the UKIP, unfortunately, seem to be second in most of their seats. So it looks like Nigel Farage may not make it.
1: All right. Well, uh, things will unfold and we'll be watching. Richard, thanks for joining us today and every Friday morning as co-host, Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. And I am Renita Malhotra wrapping up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. And a big thank you, of course, to our producer, Sandra Lamb. A quick look at the weather forecast before we leave. Today will be mainly cloudy with a few isolated showers, sunny periods during the day. The temperature right now is 27 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 82%. Here's the news with Sam Butler. As the first results begin to come in from Britain's closely-fought general election, an exit poll suggests the Conservatives, led by the Prime Minister David Cameron, will become by far the largest party. The exit poll also predicts the Scottish National Party, which wants independence, has won virtually all the seats in Scotland, inflicting heavy losses on the opposition Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats. The Scottish National Party leader Nicola Sturgeon said the exit poll should be treated with huge caution. One member of the SNP in Glasgow Humza Yousaf was asked if he believed the exit poll. <laughs> well, uh, as we'd say in Scotland, I'm, I'm keeping the heat You know, feet are very firmly planted to the ground, and you saw the reaction from our party leader, Nicola Sturgeon, who has.